have your Bible with you this morning, please turn to the first chapter of Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. If someone were to ask you, Who is Jesus? What would you say? Not, Who is Jesus to you? But who is He? Who was this man who walked the earth in first century Palestine? Who is this person? And would your description of Him, just for who He is objectively, be filled with awe at Him? As though it is completely unexpected that this person you're about to describe loves you personally. Do you know enough about Jesus to introduce Him to someone as the absolutely fascinating person He was when He walked on this earth? Could you describe Him as He was in the days that He lived among us? When we read Luke's prologue to this gospel in these first four verses this morning, we'll discover that answering these questions is at the heart of why Luke wrote his gospel. He had been dedicated to Christian work for more than a decade by this time, Christian mission work. Eyewitnesses to these events were still alive. Luke wrote a gospel really for, uh, in an immediate sense, I guess, Jewish Christians to catechize, is the word he uses here, teach and instruct. Gentile converts in the faith and, of course, to evangelize pagan, unbelieving Gentiles. He wrote to a very specific context, a believing community or Christian community that existed around 55 to 60 A.D., recording the events of the ministry of Jesus that had taken place prior in 30 to maybe 33, 34 A.D. Luke's Gospel was probably written sometime around 57 or 58 A.D. during the time of Paul's imprisonment in Rome in 58 A.D. Luke was a partner of Paul. When the mission of the church was being directed towards this great uh, dispersion of Jewish and Gentiles, or uh, Jews and Gentiles in Asia and Greece with this direct appeal or intended appeal to God-fearing Gentiles. The church at this moment in time was in great need of a gospel that could more fully explain the Jewish roots of Jesus to a Gentile audience And Luke takes up that calling. He wrote a new narrative of the same events that had been written down by this time in Matthew and in Mark's Gospels, but that gave a more detailed explanation of the Old Testament background in Jewish culture to understand the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation in Jesus. One of Luke's greatest concerns, actually, is to show how God had always included Gentiles in His plans from the very beginning. Luke's narrative is gospel proclamation for the sake of of faith. The gospel for the sake of faith. He wrote these things down because he was convinced, convinced that the certainty we need for our faith is found in the story of what Jesus Christ accomplished. He not only wants to create, but nourish Christians. And Luke believes the best way to do that is to explain in great detail the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Beloved, most of us are very familiar, aren't we? with the Gospel of Luke. Most of us are familiar with what is possibly part two of this story, the book of Acts, which is where, God willing, we'll go next when we're done with Luke. was also written by Luke. The eyewitnesses of the events narrated in Luke had become the ministers of the Word in the book of Acts. But these events don't just provide historic or academic certainty that these things happened. 
we are being told these events because who Jesus is and what Jesus is not only have the power to save us, but to keep us. This is the power and point of Luke's gospel, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So gather around now for however long it takes us and hear his story over these next weeks and months, which is for you. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gospel of Luke and his contribution to this story that was inspired by your Holy Spirit. God, please help me preach from this text what you breathe into it. Please help us all to listen, open every ear, open every heart to receive Christ. Help my preaching to contribute to that and not work against it. Please help everybody, everyone be able to understand. I ask and pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and for His sake in us. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke was a fantastic writer, actually. His Greek here is elegant. It would have greatly impressed the audience to which he was writing a Hellenistic Greek audience. He writes in a style much like other significant works in first century literature. I tell you that because God uses such means to proclaim the story of Christ. This is a man that knew how to write. The prologue tells us what this gospel is about, why he wanted to write it, and how he went about the task of doing so. Luke describes the purpose of writing his gospel in terms of catechesis. The only time actually that word is used in the New Testament is in Luke and Acts. It's just a word for teaching the basic tenets of the faith. And here it's to a nobleman named Theophilus, who was probably underwriting the gospel, or possibly, I should say, underwriting the gospel as also a legal defense for Paul's upcoming trial, which would take place in about 62 A.D. This gentleman has maybe requested an orderly account of this new movement, its origin, doctrine and development, and more than anything, what lies behind the accusations of the Jews against Paul. Why do they hate him? Why do they want him dead? Luke's gospel and Acts give precisely what Theophilus asked for, an evangelistic work that presents the gospel with a particular desire to lead the reader to faith. That's what the gospel is for, but also gives a defense that details the conflict between the Jews and Christians, all the way from the initial resistance to Jesus himself, to the persecution of the Jerusalem congregation, to the conflicts around Paul and his missionary work. This has been happening for about 20-some years now, or taking 20-some years to get to this point. Luke gives this nobleman, Theophilus, everything he needed to know in order to understand what was behind this attempt to have Paul executed as an insurrectionist against Rome. Luke will actually emphasize in his writings to that point that Christendom at its essence was not an enemy of or competitor to earthly society. There was no reason to kill Paul, in other words. He was not attempting to set up an earthly kingdom in opposition to Rome. There should never be enough evidence to convict a Christian of trying to do 
such a thing. The Gospel proclaims Christ crucified for all people, for everyone, from the least of them to the greatest, not how to run the world. You know, we, we don't conquer by killing enemies. Never. We, we conquer by dying for enemies. Yes, but not by killing them. Not in a saving way do we die for them. But sometimes it requires death for the truth to be seen. The Gospel is also for those who are shunned and despised among their own. Jesus really does receive sinners. Luke labors to show how universal the Gospel is in who it intends to reach. How it's even for the privileged like Theophilus. Luke himself was a disciple in the very first generation of Christians on the earth. He had been raised in the tradition of the apostles. As a co-worker with them, he'd become thoroughly acquainted with it and had certainly memorized it by now so that he could share it. When he said he followed all things closely for some time past in verse 3, it means he's attempted to fill out his knowledge by learning as much as he possibly could from the eyewitnesses to these events in verse 2. When he describes it as a narrative, that's what he's writing, a narrative in verse 1, that's very intentional on his part. When he, when he says that's what this is, he's placing it in a category, a literary category, that would be subject to analysis and critique in the first century. In other words, he's not ashamed of what he's writing. He isn't afraid that his claims can't be proven. He's not lying. He wants this to be up for critique and for literary analysis. After all, can his claims be proven? Can his evidence be substantiated? Because think about it. You could object that since Luke had an agenda in writing, which he tells you right out of the gate, that maybe he had souped up the truth a little bit to make everything sound more convincing. And Luke is saying in this prologue that he and his predecessors, predecessors in the tradition of telling the story of Jesus had taken the utmost care to be precise and accurate. Telling this story correctly and truthfully was their passion. Luke couldn't afford to soup up anything if he wanted people to take this seriously and actually believe it. Because there were still tons of eyewitnesses to these events living in the first century. And most of them hated Jesus and were opponents of the apostles. So if the early Christians, whether in written accounts or their oral testimonies, had exaggerated or twisted the truth, their opponents were just waiting to pounce on them as liars. He didn't say that. I was there. Right? He didn't do that. I was there. If one set out like Luke did to compile a narrative of Jesus and the things he had said and done, they had to be very careful with their claims. So the desire to evangelize people for Christ didn't compromise the truth. It demanded accuracy for the narrative to be taken seriously and not easily discarded or disproven in any way, shape, or form. We can rely on what's in this book. So, it's precisely because Luke's story and that of the other Gospel writers had been written with such care that we at least have to take their claims seriously. Luke doesn't give an unbiased narration of Jesus and he doesn't claim to. Instead, he gives a persuasive, confessional narration of the life of Jesus that is filled with meaning about him. And as Luke 24 will tell us, 
The entire Gospel of Luke is instruction in how to understand the Old Testament properly for what it was, a prophecy concerning this Jesus. Luke is a recipient of a tradition that was handed down by those who were eyewitnesses of it from the very beginning and became the ministers of this word. Luke is dependent on the witness of those who had seen and heard Jesus and had delivered what they saw and heard to him. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are books for the church to have and to read in order to know exactly what Jesus did and taught, or at least what God wanted us to know of the things Jesus did and taught. Luke has taken great care to follow all of this accurately from the very beginning of it all. He's researched the very best sources. His writings will stand the test of the thorough analysis of their claim. He's establishing this in the first four verses. And he does all of it in verse 4, not just for Theophilus and his current context to know for sure, but so that you, we read that every time we read it, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Beloved, we are a people of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We have faith in these things. That doesn't mean they aren't true and can't be proven. That doesn't mean these things didn't literally happen in history. They most certainly did. And if they didn't, we would have no life, no salvation, nothing to gather for. Nothing. But they did happen. It's actual history. That's what Luke is saying. The goal of Luke's Gospel is our fully informed, steadfast faith that endures to salvation on the last day. And such a faith comes from the teaching of who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. Luke is going to narrate for us the story of what has, is, and will save us, beloved. The entire life of Jesus. His entire life. Even those roughly 30 years or so we don't have anything about written down. Was lived by Him as a Savior and substitute for us. Jesus is not just our substitute that absorbs God's wrath in our place. And praise God He is that. He is also our substitute performing our righteousness in our place. That's what makes His whole life, all of it, so meaningful. Not just the last few hours. When God raised Jesus from the dead three days later, never to die again, God was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ as the truth for salvation. God was saying this was true. Everything He said. Everything He did. In this man, in this man, we will look at from every side we can, who was also fully God, your salvation. My salvation. Tony Romano, the sinner. My salvation has been accomplished. It is finished for me and for you and for all who will receive it. Finished. I have nothing to worry about. Oh, I worry all the time. But at the end of the day, of every day, my name is written down in heaven because of this man. Because of this man. 
what a story Luke is going to tell. His particular witness to Jesus is just invaluable to him. They all are. And his is too. I mean, if it wasn't for Luke's contribution to the story of Jesus, we wouldn't have the Christmas story like we have it. We wouldn't have the Magnificat of Mary, the little boy Jesus in the temple, the good Samaritan, the prodigal son, Zacchaeus, much more, I think. We wouldn't know those things without Luke. What you need to know this day is that this is not some distant thing that was written you know, a couple thousand years ago, and so how do you relate to it? It was written for your faith as a Christian. For you. For you. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament to accomplish all God's promises, to live the perfectly obedient life to the law that you and I are commanded to and cannot because we are rebels against God by nature. Which means He also came to offer up that spotless life as a sacrifice on our behalf so that we are forgiven by His blood completely. He came to live for us, to die for us, yes. But He also came to rise for us. That's for us. The resurrection was for us. So that His perfect righteousness could be credited to us by grace through faith in Him. Luke's Gospel is the story of how God accomplished all this in His Son, who was fully God, fully man, Jesus the Christ. Luke is fascinated with Jesus. You'll see that come out. He's fascinated with this story. And he says, he doesn't say the things that happened, the things that have been accomplished among us. That implies that somebody had a plan accomplished among us. Your translation may say, fulfilled among us. The events of the life of Jesus aren't things that just happen. Something is being accomplished. Right? Get past salvation being probable because of Christ. Accomplished. 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 All that Jesus did and said and accomplished with God's, was God's intentional design to bring about salvation from eternity with us. We pride ourselves on being, you know, each, maybe each generation of humanity thinks it's the greatest generation or the most advanced or the most knowledgeable or the most benevolent, whatever you want to say. Humanity peaked 2,000 years ago in one man for all time. All the Old Testament prophecies, the promises and predictions that came true in Jesus. Jesus fascinated those who heard and saw Him. Does He fascinate you? Does he, when, don't walk away with guilt. That's not what I want. When was the last time He fascinated you? He's amazing. Right? I mean... Don't forget when we gather, because we all bring our own stuff in here, and so do I, that this is about Christ. Everybody else and everything else can take a back seat to Christ. He's really the only one worth talking about. Does He fascinate you? Is your testimony a story about you and how you've changed and what you've become? Or is it about how Jesus is such a great Savior? 
Do we even remember that He is what this is all about? Look at Luke's passion for accuracy. Thank God for that. So these aren't, this isn't a homer, right? This isn't Tony Romano commentating an Ohio State football game. Okay? This is objective truth and beauty. These men aren't writing like that. They're purveyors of truth. See, this is before media was hot garbage. Bogged down by identity politics. Luke had embarked on a painstaking, dedicated effort because these things happened. He made this accessible, readable, reliable, and exquisitely detailed for you, for your salvation. All our sins are forgiven. All our righteousness has been provided. We've been reconciled to God. Receive Jesus. By grace through faith, may all this man said and done be applied to you. Receive Him. Confess your sins. He already knows every single one of them. And the stuff you haven't even done yet. He knows all the promises you've broken and all the promises you're going to break. That's why He lived the life that He did. That's why He died a sacrificial death. That's why God raised Him from the dead. Because you needed it and He is sufficient to provide it. So receive Him. Receive Him. And believer, I say the exact same thing to you. Receive Him. Be fascinated with Him. Remember who this man is and what he has done to accomplish our salvation and to give us life and hope and peace for all eternity. We're here but for a little while. And all this will pass. And he will be forever. And we in him, therefore, with him. This is the greatest story ever told. And I know that was a movie. The title's too good, so I used it. All right? Christ for me. Christ for you. Amen.